Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to What Women Want with Amy and Ed. Hello and welcome to the show, What Women Want, where I and some great comedians look at the misadventures, misunderstandings and misogyny involved in being a woman. Consider this your podcast equivalent of a deep and meaningful conversation at a house party with a stranger where you share things you thought you would never share with anyone. For example, this week I ate a full vegan meal that I knew would not agree with me, and it didn't, because I was so taken with the waitress's altogether vibe, and she said it was her favourite. In this episode, we are looking at what women want is security. We recorded this show back in February 2018 at the Soho Theatre. I'm joined by three excellent humans who really made me laugh, Phil Wang, Coco Khan and Josie Long. Let's join them now to find out what women want. Hi, everyone. Hello. How are you? Got your banana? I really respect that. (laughs) I brought it out because I was like, if there's an emergency, blood sugar-wise, I've got it. (laughs) It's good. I might put it on my table, just so it feels more weird for the audience to see. (laughs) Um, Coco, lovely to see you. Thank you. I fell over on the way up there, um, and I, I hope that's not a sign of things to come. That's all I can say. <laughs> and Phil? Hi, afternoon, everyone. Good to be here. <laughs> you can tell that Phil's just been to America, because <laughs> you're really giving that cool vibe. <laughs> also, I just came back and I had this shirt. Didn't even buy it. It just... Uh, a cowboy jumped on me and put it on. <laughs> um, they've given me this Britney mic, and what it means is... It's very hard to shut me up. <laughs> if you ever feel like you have a problem talking at work, just get a Britney mic. <laughs> Everything you say is microphone. <laughs> it's great. Um, so uh, security to me is a really interesting thing to think about personally, because I think in terms of a, like in terms of a career, for me, that's freedom to fail what is, is what security is. And I think you really can understand that security is another way of talking about privilege when you think about it that way. Because I... Uh, uh, I'm in the arts, thank you. My parents are averagely proud. (laughs) Um, You know, average, it's enough. Um, And that's not fair, they're very nice. And they're here, so shouldn't have said that. (laughs) Shouldn't have said that. I mean, they paid as well, so terrible of me to say that. Horrible child. Um, So bad to my parents. Um, So for me, it's security to fail. Like, I really witness people in the arts. There's this, like, a divergence that we never really talk about 
People who, when they're making something, are coming from less privilege, are risking so much more every time they do it. And we never talk about that risk, and it really, really annoys me. I had an experience recently where I was involved in a project, it didn't work out. I went back to work. Uh, my friend who was also involved in the project had to get a job in a call center, and the third person went traveling. It was like, we, we then realized that the three of us had been bringing slightly different levels of stress to this project. It had to happen for some of us, and it didn't have to happen for others. So I think privilege and security are intrinsically bound up with each other. Romantically, uh, I've always thought like this idea of like women wanting to be treated like a princess for me, is always like a, it feels like a trap. <laughs> and I know for some people, that's what, that's, like, that's what a relationship is. It's someone treating them like they're the most important person in the world. And I, obviously, I do want that. <laughs> please, if you're in this room, my boyfriend, please. <laughs> Keep, there, there is. There is. Basically, this room is my friends and my family. <laughs> and my friends and my family. Um, so I've been thinking about that from a personal level. But then on a sort of more systemic thing, I've been thinking a lot about... Basically, this week, we had the anniversary of some women being able to vote in this country. As I'm sure you know, a lot of people were really clear about talking about the some. And some people were kind of annoyed by the idea. If you don't know, it's the anniversary of women over the age of 30 with property or with a husband with property getting the vote. I don't understand why we don't want to talk about those clauses more. <laughs> because I wouldn't get the vote in 1980. I'm so privileged. <laughs> I'm so privileged. And I wouldn't have got the vote. I mean, maybe as an experiment, we could see if the house lights up a tiny bit. Um, maybe put your hands in the air. And also, I should say, uh, we can talk about gender now. It's whatever you identify as. So feel free to put your hand up as you like. Put your hands up in the air. If you keep, everyone put your hands up. Come on, let's make it everybody. Keep your hands up in the air if you are a, a man over the age of 21 or a woman over the age of 30. Okay, keep your hands up in the air if you are a woman over the age of 30 with property or with a husband with property. And if you're a man over the age of 21, just keep them up. Okay, congratulations, you just got the vote <laughs> in 1980. So that's really interesting, isn't it? Most people in this room, that's not a celebration of when we got the vote. So I think those clauses and how we then see ourselves within feminism are so important when it comes to thinking about security. And uh, I'm, I promise you there's jokes. I promise you there's jokes coming. Um, I just think those clauses are so important. Basically, I keep thinking about uh, Good Charlotte. Hey, they're delighted the worst song in the fucking world. Yes. Girls, it's all about him, it's not about her. Girls don't like boys. Girls like cars and money. Oh, sorry, that's a different song. That's a different song. <laughs> when you were speaking, I was like, I don't remember that bit of the song. <laughs> Which one are you talking about? Hey There, Delilah is a love song to someone called Delilah. Oh, I that think is that's... all about the man. Mm. And he's like, oh, hey there, Delilah, how's it like in New York? So I had to review it once for a singles <laughs> thing. And I said, I hope she cheats on him with the entire football team. <laughs> because I hated him so much. It's, it's basically like, you're so pretty, and I'm going to become a rock star and look after you, and you... Oh, it's, I fucking hate it. I hate him. I don't want to uh, emo band shame you, but, I mean, that is the plain white tease. You're right. <laughs> Not good, Charlotte. <laughs> so. I was wrong, I was loud, but I was thorough. <laughs> I really respect I'm so that. Sorry. Don't be sorry, of course. Th those songs are exactly the same part of like oeuvre about men being like, oh, if only women didn't want so much money, I would have a woman. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Can I say also, um, yeah. I, like, I don't mean to like drop a bomb, but I, I'm pregnant and it is affecting me 
in really weird ways. Like, for example, at the moment, I'm just a little bit too eager. <laughs> but it'll only last a couple of weeks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that warning. Actually, could be very eager at times, and I'm going to be very sincere. So we're looking for you two to bring the laughs. Um, so just to finish me, I've obviously... No, please. The idea that someone would uh, apologise for interrupting to talk about the plain white teas is anthemic to me, Josie. Like, that is my dream. If we could start to talk about um, uh, Fall Out Boy later, I would love that. Um, so I just think, generally, when we think about what I'm going to call the Good Charlotte model, uh, when I write this in a memo for the London Review of Books, the Good Charlotte model... Well, I thought it'd be fu funnier, but no, that's fine. I guess you have to be the sort of person who knows who Good Charlotte is and who the London Review of Books kind of person is. It's just me, I guess. Um, I just think we've come to a point where when we think about security, it's not simple enough to be like, oh, it's just the good Charlotte women who want cars and money. Uh, it's not just like, that's an archaic sense of what a woman is. It's not true. So that's not a problem for us anymore. Because I think when we think about where we get our security from, where I get my security from is often pretty much like the approval of people in my life, like bosses, basically. That's where I would love to say that I get my approval and therefore my security from more sort of self-made places, but I just don't think I do. And so when I'm living within that, I have to understand it's not just the good Charlotte model for my London Review of Books memo. Um, it's also people who are trying to have it all. And it's also women who, outside of relationship stuff, are told that a little self-confidence will fix systemic issues in the workplace. Just try harder, <laughs> says Sheryl Sandberg in Lean In. Just lean in. That the problem is you're not leaning enough. You get to lean in, you'll be right to the top, you know. We make it our fault. So those are all the ideas I want to talk about today personally. But Josie, when I spoke to you and said it's going to be what women want is security, what sprung to your mind? Um, well, I, I was thinking about the fact that it, 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 it's hard to work out what's real and why. Like, having a career in showbiz <laughs> over a long period of time or doing something that's, like, um, unusual where there's not a clear blocked out path for you like there's never any real no one ever really has any entitlement to anything like you don't have an entitlement to a career you don't have an entitlement to longevity no matter what you're doing no matter how good you think it is there's no entitlement really right so on one hand when you're thinking about trying to keep that sustained for your life and trying to build and trying to feel as if you are kind of I don't know like accumulating is the wrong word but like feel as if you can look back on your body of work and be like Yes, I'm building security for myself and I'm, a, like, having a career and stuff. In some ways, you'll never fully, like, ever be able to ask for that. But at the same time, I've been talking a lot with other female comedians recently about kind of the gap in opportunities and the gap in progression between men and women. And, um, and also, like, I know that there are also, like, others um, uh, inter intersecting things, also me being like, Ugh. but like uh, there's other things that intersect with that like uh, as well. But the gap between women and men in terms of what they're given and wh whether they're allowed to fail with that and how many more they're given after that and when they're given those opportunities and stuff feels really stark. And what's hard sometimes is also you just don't know. And so even trying to talk about it, you don't know whether actually, well, maybe that thing wasn't very good. And, you know, so it's really hard to kind of f feel 
feel like you appreciate what's really happening when you get a very strong sense that something's happening. Like I was uh, an, a, a, f- a woman who is a comedian and writer and actor and like a hero of mine since childhood made a little group on Twitter because she'd been asked to go on some bullshit um, a uh, hundred years since women <laughs> got the vote, you know, um, mm-hmm. on Radio 4. And they literally were like, are women funny? Which is obviously like one of those delegitimizing questions that like over and over again is basically people saying, why are you here? You shouldn't be here over and over again. Mm-hmm. And then being like, why aren't women confident? You know? <laughs> 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 Because you shouldn't be here. Or even better, like, why aren't there any women comedians? And you're like, I am finally invisible. (laughs) (laughs) Hello? I was here. Um, But basically, um, in this thread, this person for whom I have incredible respect for their talent, for their achievements, for everything, uh, and it's somebody who, again, compared to the size of their talent has definitely not been given the amount of opportunities as their male counterparts, etc., etc. But she said in this thread, hi, I just wanted to speak to a few people because I'm going on this thing and obviously I've had numerous pilots turned down. Obviously I've had things I'm working on constantly turned down and not really had anything I wanted made, but maybe my stuff has just been shit. So could you tell me your opinions? Mm. And firstly, to see that person say that, I was like... Oh. It was not shit. I was world changing. Um, but on top of that, then to see all these people, and we're like different generations, you know, like people from the age of about 25 to about 55 saying, yes, this, 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 yes, this, this, this. And then one comedian just put up the statistics about like, it took 500 episodes for Mock the Week to have more than one woman on, or it took this, that, the other, and just being like, I, I, I didn't feel capable of confronting this again. And like, you think you're working with it and you think you're sort of getting to a point where like uh, because it's hard if people were to talk to me about it and what's sad is like quite often people like excuse me I'm doing a PhD on women in comedy and they seem really nice and you're like I can never speak of this again or I shall die (laughs) so I'm afraid I cannot engage again Um, which is but like I I always want to say like the wonderful thing is you know like from Uh, political point of view you still own the means of production obviously you can't beat certain gatekeepers but the things that it is capable to build and make and get out there can at least help you like light a fuse or put a crack in the door and stuff like that so like it's not helpless and when you do put things out there there is the audience for them and things can can and do happen and like especially with live performance I love the fact that I have crowds who I love and are wonderful and I feel like that's because I try to put myself out there in my work and stuff but it's still really like fuck yeah like Mm. it's hard to be confronted by what really does feel like a reality but when you do try and bring it up people can be like well why do you think you deserve that it's like no I don't but Mm. if you look at ex-male comedian and ex-female comedian who are both on the same panel show ex-female comedian spent 10 years trying to knock on the same door with different scripts and was rebuffed over and over again. And ex-male comedian got one pilot instantly and was then on four shows simultaneously when they said to ex-female comedian, well, you're already on that one show, so be grateful for what you've got. And, like, it's little things like that that I feel a bit galling security-wise. And also, I hate the fact that since I've hit my 30s, this thing in the back of my mind is saying to me that I'm on some kind of time limit. And this thing in the back of my mind says things to me about, like, 
men being allowed to blossom and women sort of being cast aside and only being allowed to play certain roles. And especially in comedy, it's like the ingenue and that's about it. And I don't think that's wholly true, but I think if it were untrue, I would not be feeling it and it would not mm. be factoring into my life. Also, I was thinking about something you said about security and, and privilege and stuff. And I was reminded that, so, and this is like another dimension like of class and of uh, like financial privilege and stuff like that. But like when I applied to Oxford, it was literally like, if I don't get in, I'm fucked. I, like, I'm desperate to get into this place. This is what will change the course of my life. This is everything to me. And also, there's no fucking way I can take a gap year because I can't stay another second in the dangerous household that I live in, let alone the fact that financially they wouldn't support me. Like, it, it was literally like, I have to fucking get out of here and I have to get there otherwise. It's fucked. And then I have a really dear friend who's lovely, but he's the most privileged friend that I have. And he's still not conservative. He's actually very good hearted. Um, <laughs> but he's... He's very privileged and he told me that he didn't get in first year round, so he decided to take a gap year and reapply. And in his gap year, he basically chilled out in his underwear at his parents' beautiful house. And it's that difference of like, you take things differently to heart if you're not from that privilege that tells you you're a born leader and you're the, be the best of the best. And so like, for him, not getting into Oxford was like, oh, they've made an admin error. Hmm. And for me, it would have been like, well, I knew I was thick. That's me told forever. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. Not for me. I know. I realise now it's not for me. Not for the likes of me. Mm. But, and like, <laughs> there's a lot of shit like that. And I think it's interesting because I think men perhaps get less rejection or sort of take rejection. But I think women get more rejection, but we also have to become used to constant rejection and we have to develop like this insane battling spirit to keep going in the arts for that long. Like people have to be like, oh yeah, literally everything I've ever pitched has been turned down, mm. but what else am I gonna fucking do? I'm not working eight hours a day, I'm lazy. <laughs> I'm working three hours a day at most. <laughs> I really want to talk about the difference between non-traditional and traditional careers. Um, but first, Coco, when you heard the topic, what did you think? So I applied to Oxford, didn't get in. I'm, I'm, what? No, I'm surprised. <laughs> you're meant to be like, what? You didn't get in, but you're a genius. That's what you were meant to do. No, I didn't get in. It's actually really funny. So um, you should all know that I'm working class. I grew up in a council house. Yeah, but well, I mean, they, they used to exist there and they don't really exist anymore, but uh, I grew up in one of those in East London, but like not the Danny Dyer version, the like really Asian version that never gets <laughs> to be seen. I don't know why. <laughs> so I grew up there and um, apparently there's this whole industry of like preparatory services and education. So there was an organisation, I won't say their name, and they basically wanted to show how good they were at prepping young people to get into Oxbridge that they said they needed a working class case study. And they came to my sixth form <laughs> college and they were like, get me the most unlikely Oxbridge candidate, <laughs> but has got good grades. And I, I got it. It was me. And it was basically like, it, you know, what's that one with the uh, rain in Spain? Oh, My Fair Lady. My, my Fair Lady, yeah. <laughs> it was basically like that. I'd go to these offices in Mayfair and I'd sit down and they'd be like, so, Miss Khan, let's talk about your admission letter. It says here your inspirations are Franz Ferdinand <laughs> and Peggy Mitchell. <laughs> but, I mean, to be fair to them, they were pretty good. I ended up getting called for interview and I go to this interview 
the interview doesn't go very well, <laughs> well and it was, I found it all very baffling. So I did what any young 18-year-old would do when they're away from their parents. I'm going to get drunk. So <laughs> I like, left my interview, went to the pub, got really drunk with some other people being interviewed, and um, I, I'm going to say a drunk, leery man, because, you know, he wanted to party, and I did too. So I hung <laughs> out with him for a bit, went back to the college, and all the doors were shut. It was all locked, and you had to ring a bell, and then, like, bzz, ring this bell. Some guy comes down, like, Ebenezer Scrooge, like, like <laughs> linen, linen things. He might as well have been holding a candle, a, like, wax candlestick thing. And I was like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm here for... Inter- inter- I'm interviewing. Um, I, my stuff's all in here. <laughs> I, I need my stuff back. And I got put into this room, and basically it turns out that at this college there was a curfew, which I didn't know about. And uh, they were like, you violated your curfew. You're out, basically. Your application is over. So, yeah, I know. But part of me was like, it was was meant to be. Because I couldn't be somewhere with a curfew. I don't get up till (laughs) 4pm. I couldn't couldn't do that at all. And I was like, oh, it's a sign from the Lord that uh, it wasn't meant to be. And it was fine. And I got the late bus back and saw Faithless at Brixton Academy. (laughs) So, you know, fuck Oxford. You don't need it. (laughs) Um, No, um... Yeah, I think a lot of what JC was saying was really interesting. Um, and I had the same thing, because I see your women, and I raise you, ethnicity. Mm. <laughs> That's right. Ethnicity and, check it out, curveball, Muslim. <laughs> Got it all, mate. <laughs> Got it all. <laughs> and I... <laughs> Please never quote me on that outside of this space. <laughs> And yeah, so I used to get the same thing as well, where you try and say to people, like, look, guys, I'm just saying, how comes the only things I ever get commissioned to do is to write about race issues, and how comes there's no senior people that are of colour in this organisation, and how comes I can't write the long think piece, which is 2,000 words about what's-its, and why are what's-its the best crisps? Nobody knows. Why can't I do that? But instead, you have to get pushed into this box all the time, and then you should be grateful because you're, you're in the byline, you're in the national papers, you're in the things. More people like you would be, you know, aren't in that, so you have to be grateful. But there is a moment. <clears throat> I recently was quoted in this Vice article and they referred to me as a grime critic. For what? Like, for what? I don't understand. Like, you know, I, I, I like Dizzy Rascal like the next guy. I don't know. Like, I'm, not, I'm hardly a grime critic. But it was this thing where it's like, oh, well, you know, she's from London, she's a minority, she must bloody love grime. <laughs> so, <laughs> I just want my next, I want my next sort of oeuvre to be like, you know, maybe we could do a good Charlotte thing. We should yeah. do that. Subvert some shit, man. I would love do that. It. Yeah. But no, I mean, I've had the same experience as well about being pigeonholed, about a kind of covert way of saying like, yes, we want to use your sort of marginal status to make us look good. Yes, we find it fascinating. But within this construct, like, we like that you're the friendly Muslim. That's really nice. Mm. But like, don't start talking about like, I don't know, foreign policy, because that's too much. Like, don't do that, don't do that. And so I've had that as well. Um, and it's, uh, it's very troubling, it's very difficult. But on the other hand, you know, with enough sort of... In my life, I've finally got to a point now where, for the first time in the last six months, I'm not constantly having to always write about race issues. Mm. And when I do write about race, it's on my own terms. Often, it's like the fun thing, and people are always like, I can't believe you wrote a, f- an, an, a pleasing thing about being not white. Like, oh, I'm, yeah, surprise, it's not all misery. There's actually some beauty <laughs> and community, and it's, really, there's actually, it's actually quite nice in bits. <laughs> and so that's been a real lovely thing to happen. But 
Um, I, I know that that's a privilege that I've enjoyed, um, the being able to even do that, even mm. be able to speak on my terms about these things. And, you know, not, it's not without uh, its, its pitfalls, and I do find myself doing things that I don't really want to be doing. But, again, you know, for the cause, it's all right. <laughs> but, yeah, no, so just, uh, just everything you said just sort of chimed with me, really. Great, thank you. Phil, Atlanta's Phil. Oh, hi, everyone. Um, <laughs> yes, well, Amy obviously likes to curate as varied a panel as possible because I, I applied to Cambridge. Um, <laughs> and, um, and I was successful. I was successful in that application. I, I got a place. Um, on, on the day of my interview, I played it safe and went to bed straight after lunch. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I'd go so I, I'm probably the, have the most. I'm, I've been, I've had the mo most security of anyone on this panel. Probably I've, I grew up, I've been very pri privileged my entire life, and um, very lucky because my parents are the first generation of their both their families to have any wealth, um, which I benefited from, um, and and I was always good at. I was good at school, which is not a skill, but I was lucky enough that my set of talents fell into a pre-decided um, set of valuable characteristics that a person should have. Um, and, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> and, because uh, security isn't just about um, being safe in the knowledge that your failures are not ultimate, but also safe in the knowledge that you can enjoy a particular outcome from a specific set of actions. And, and I've always had that security as well. Go to school, do well, um, apply to a good university, get it. Like when, when my, my reaction to, to getting into Cambridge was probably very different from Josie's in that when I found out I had got a place, I wasn't happy, I was relieved. Mm. You know. And, and, and so I've always been very lucky. And then in so the, I sometimes think the reason I got into comedy was to see what insecurity felt like. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Which, to an extent, it has been. But, um, <laughs> but even in that vein, I did the Footlights at Cambridge, which is about as secure starting as you can have in comedy. <laughs> and, uh, and, and even in my ethnicity, my, my semi-ethnicity, in that my, if you want to call it that, in that my father is Malaysian Chinese, my mother's white um, English, um, in comedy, my ethnicity, I feel, has given me an extra layer of security in that I've been allowed to fail on certain panel shows, which I have, watch Would I Lie to You, um, <laughs> and been allowed another chance because I, I provide this unique uh, element to a show in, in my ethnicity. And so I feel like I've been given a few chances in that as well. Um, so I, I'm, I'm not sure entirely what my function on this panel today will be, but... <laughs> If, if anyone yeah. wants to know what security feels like, I'll talk to them. Uh, <laughs> uh, because I was thinking about, you know when you said, oh, I became a comedian to see what insecurity felt like? I would also say there is still the f a flip side, which I think isn't negative, which is like, I really didn't have any money for a really long time, and I didn't have a security net, but it meant that, like, I was like, oh, I've got to do this, and I, like, really fought for stuff with... with like with fashion, not that people who don't do that are like it's not to denigrate if you can't do that, but at the same time, like I feel like actually coming not from security is, is very useful in lots of ways, and being used to rejection and given more and more rejection is very useful, it's just like less pleasant. But like, mm. it definitely, like, I would say I'm grateful for it and glad of it and stuff like that. And what I've weirdly noticed is the last maybe three years of my life, I, like, have earned more money than I did before. I'm not trying to show off I can't buy a house, but, like, um, <laughs> well, actually, to be honest, I probably will eventually buy. <laughs> but what, what I've noticed is, like, I personally now can't cope with having more m money enough to be, like, oh, cool, OK, well, I've got some savings and, you know, I can choose, pick and choose my work. I actually find that to be, like, creatively destructive and I can totally see how, like, you know, when you see somebody who's, like very much fits into the acceptable mainstream box in society, you go, well, they've got nothing to say and stuff like that. And, like, it's that thing of, like... There, there, is, a, there is a power to having nothing to lose a lot of time. If you have nothing to lose, then you just go for it, right? Yeah, totally. And I think maybe there's a sort of uncanny valley between having nothing to lose and too much to lose. Mm. Well, know. I'd really recommend, Josie, it's just lowering your standards. Because <laughs> I similarly, I'm, I mean, I wake up sometimes at night being like, oh, God, I didn't get as many much freelance commissions this month. I'm not going to have much money. You know, my mum still lives in the council house we grew up in, living under the Tories, benefits being cut, stereo being cut. Every so often she's like, oh, I came in, I've got about 50 quid. And I think, did you get it legally, though? Because that's, that's my main concern. <laughs> that's what I'm worried about. And I had this big vision that I'm going to do the immigrant dream. And I'm, my mum struggled, came over here, got spat out in the street, worked shit jobs, and then I'm going to do a Rio Ferdinand and buy her a home. <laughs> and then I'll be, I'll be worshipped across the land. People will tweet me, you did it, Coco, you did it. I'll do a lap around East Ham High Street. Everyone will be like, oh, yeah, woo, you did it. And I had these moments where when I realised I probably won't be able to do that, I feel depressed. Mm. I feel I failed. I've let people down. I feel angry at the world, and it keeps me up at night, and I feel really, really angry. But what I've realised is that I'm just going to eventually buy one property that's really small and then we'll just do the beds and shed style. And that'll be <laughs> fine, innit? 
But I'm sorted. Lower your standards. Lower your standards of living to as low as they can get. And, uh, you know, you'll be all right. I need to heighten my <laughs> kindness because, like, I was like, oh, shit, I've never once thought about buying my mum a house. <laughs> and my mum lives in a caravan. <laughs> nowhere and she stopped driving my stepdad does all the driving and my stepdad he's not getting any younger we're like me and my sister keep ringing each other up and being like what the fuck are we gonna do <laughs> she's not got a spare room i've not got a spare room. i've got a baby on the way i'm in a one bed what am i gonna do there <laughs> so I'm just like, Wait, now we want to know <laughs> this is great this is like a sort of it's like a comic ken loach <laughs> quite nice oh, i'm so sorry <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't want to stop. Keep going. Um, so we've gone to the question section. So uh, I don't normally uh, preface it so hard. <laughs> I'm going to ask you some questions now. Um, I My first question, I think we've sort of covered it a bit, is do you... I think we've talked about do you seek security because we've talked about... But I don't know if we've like nailed down what security actually means to you. Because I think it's really interesting to think... It's, I think we can all accept the idea of security uh, theoretically, but when you like drill it down to what security means to you, we might all have slightly different things. Because obviously sometimes it could be, I want to buy my mom a house, but on a sort of career level, it might be something else, relationship security, emotional, mental health security, there's so many things. Like, I, I don't even entirely know what mine are, but I'd love to hear what yours are first, so I can figure <laughs> out what would be cool for mine to be. Um, I don't know, should we go, Phil? You, you thinking about it? Mm. <laughs> Even I'm having a stroke. I, I, I think security for me is certainty, but that, that, that is a privilege of having safety covered. Mm. Um, and uh, in, like as far as emotional security goes, um, the, surrounding myself with uh, people who care about my feelings, I suppose. But... Mm. Um, it's it's hard to know, especially now, because the world has changed so much in such a, a short period of time. I think a lot of us have given up on a certain definition of security, which is that certainty, mm. at least any political or economic certainty. We, I think our generation, is, millennials, have um, in particular given up on. Um, so I, I'm not entirely sure, and I know that's a very unhelpful answer, um, what, what security... It changes. I think it changes with age. You know, before, it, it meant... Getting to good, getting into university, then it meant getting in a career. Now that I have a career, security would be not losing what I've got, I suppose, mm. and and that's why I imagine um, I'll be a Tory by the time I'm forty. <laughs> <laughs> Fingers crossed for you. <laughs> that's aspiration. Right? Yeah, <laughs> but I wonder if it, it's interesting that you you don't specifically think about security or what it might mean to you because you might maybe some of the things that are obvious security things, which is like having a certain amount of money to get you through the months. Like, obviously, we're talking about all of this with an amount of privilege. And I sometimes feel like, especially in Soho Theatre, like, you know, in Oprah, when she's like, look under your chairs, you've got a car. I want to be like, look under your chairs, you've got privilege, you've got privilege, you've got, pri I've got privilege. Like, it's hard to have a conversation where obviously at some point someone is talking about like, you know, life or death things. But I think a lot of the times when we're talking about security, it kind of comes down to that. And we talk a lot about careers, which I think is interesting. Do you ever think about it in terms of relationships and what that might mean? With regards to relationships, I, um, I've just come out of a relationship which was an open relationship, which was the only one I've um, 
first thing, first time I've ever done that. Mm. And um, again, I also try to see what insecurity felt like, <laughs> um, because mm-hmm. I, this is so interesting. <laughs> <laughs> because I'd, I'd always found that um, my desire, my need for romantic certainty, was quite uh, torturous, and 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 it created jealousy. Because jealousy is the force by which you maintain your relationships. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's another show, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I, I wanted to almost purge myself of, of jealousy, romantic jealousy and sexual jealousy, and I thought this would, would be a good experiment to do that. And, and, and um, it, it was a wonderful relationship. We, we, we still love each other very much, and I feel I'm a stronger um, person now, and I, I, I think I've, I've shed that level of insecurity as well but <laughs> but I don't know it's, it's only been a month I'm, like I'm so still be like I'll respond again but I, I'm, I'm really interested by what you said about like it's like you've when you try when you do allow yourself to experience that insecurity you do realise that it, it's not the, that is an illusion, really, isn't it? Like, because you go, oh, well, if I was rich, I'd be secure. And then you're like, no, I died. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> or like, even if oh, my career was secure, I'd be secure. And it'd be like, no, you would still be somebody who yearned and you'd still be somebody who was critical and, you know, all these things. And like, I think it does, and like, that's where, I suppose, if you don't come from certain types of privilege, you are... are are able to see earlier that these things you can still get by without those things and you can still be driven and you sort of can focus on different things and I think it's quite like positive and useful to have known that like uncertainty mm-hmm. and you and you think about that when you think about uh, romance as part I mean romance is quite highfalutin but romance well, <laughs> like in my own experience I like when I grew up uh, both my parents were in sort of my parents' initial relationship was like we as their children like ended up knowing loads about things we shouldn't have and like lots of infidelities and stuff like that and then their new relationships they were both like very often like inappropriate and like boundaries crossed and so like as a result I grew up being really like there's two phases to life there's phase one when you like have a great time and then there's sinister phase two <laughs> sinister phase two when you um you know become a couple and then they uh, cheat on you and leave you very badly and your life is ruined and now I can see that that's not necessarily true <laughs> like it's not 100% certain to do that. but so growing up I was terrified I was always like oh gosh like I'll be with people they'll be unfaithful to me and they'll treat me really badly and all this stuff and I think what I've learned through sort of like I guess more like self learning to be more self-sufficient is that like that yes that may well happen and it'll be fine because I'll try and keep going or it won't but either way fuck it (laughs) in it for a penny it's the same with money it's like when I've had times when I've had no money it has been really fucking hard and it's always preferable to not be really struggling but you get through it and or you don't but life is long, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I realised that I, I realised that what I was trying to say wasn't clear enough, so I was just like, and life. <laughs> no, 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 that's what I do. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm, you're looking at me because it's my turn to speak. Yeah, because this is the second time I jumped and I felt like I I'm don't so know what the question is. <laughs> what is the question? And um, when we're thinking about security, there's you know we talked about relationships. Well, we sort of danced around relationships, but we've talked a lot about career. Do you feel like with relationships? 
there's a sort of a sense of what community means to you, like within the sort of feminist idea, I guess. Um, I basically have had one relationship, which I'm in at the minute. Well done, me. Seven years. Confusing because you're putting up two fingers. <laughs> I, I, I just mean like, take a selfie of me. Take a gram. Look, check me out. Yeah, babe. Seven years. So I've had one relationship. I met him when I was 23. I'm 29, 29 now. Is that seven years? That's six. That's enough. So it's, it's plenty of time. That's yeah. what I'm saying. It's plenty of time. And before, before that, I was... It was funny, actually, because if you would have asked me at 23 how many boyfriends I'd had, I'd be like, oh, you know, I've had, like, maybe four or five. And I look back and I'm like, I don't think three weeks of texting was a relationship. I, I think that was, that was wrong. And so I basically... My life has just been, like, sleeping around, telling myself that I feel great about it, because did you see Carrie Bradshaw? Yeah, this is amazing. Then crying at night, just like, I'm really unhappy. Or, or being basically married. So I, I don't feel like totally. <laughs> in, I don't feel like informed enough to sort of say that how like relationship impacts the contemporary woman's feeling of security because I've just mm. gone from like one end to the other. But what I would say is that uh, in my little period of sleeping around, one of the reasons for that was that um, I grew up in a single parent family. My mum came over to the UK in an arranged marriage. The guy was a piece of shite. She divorced him. And that was like a really big thing to do in the 80s anyway, to be a single parent under Thatcher. But then add Asian, add Muslim. And it was like not a strong look. And she got (laughs) loads and loads of grief from the community. And then one day she met a man, a mysterious man, Mm. a gorgeous man, and they fell in love. And from them, a special child was born. (laughs) Me. Plot twist, it was me. I was a child. That would be so harsh if you like my fucking brother. I hate him. But anyway, he basically he basically was like, psych, not that into you, and went back to his his wife, his arranged marriage wife. Oh, wow. And like my mum had basically had this illegitimate kid and she'd already had loads of shit from the Asian community. And then that went up to like like hundred. So I grew up as a bit of a black sheep in this community, and I, when I got to like eighteen, I was like, I am going to live without shame. I have seen shame at a low level to like many of my peers, be they white, middle class, whatever. But I've seen that shaming we do of women, and I've also been privy to seeing at its most extreme it can be before it becomes like a BBC documentary. Do you know what mm. I mean? <laughs> like I've seen that. So I am going to live my life without shame. And I spent five years just going around to parties, being like, "You look like you read some books. Let's make out or whatever." <laughs> and, then in, and I look back on that time now, and I'm really mm. pleased that I did that. But interestingly. The feeling of shame never went away. Mm. It, was, it was in there. It's gone. You know, not gone. It's like buried within. And even though I went through all the motions, I read all the... You name a feminist, I read it. I read it all. <laughs> did it all, all the feminisms. <laughs> and it didn't change the fact that actually deep down it was still internalised, it was still there. So I don't know if that's an insight, but... Definitely is an insight, yeah. I, I think talking about shame is really fascinating within the context of security because is it security from being judged? Is, that, is security, I'm wondering if security is all about other people and whether or not security is something that we think we create for ourselves but actually we're always expecting other people's response to tell us whether or not we've got it. Because mm. well, I certainly feel society, like that's, that's society, true for me. That's what society is, is how you interact with your community, right? And, and I think... So we've benefited. Uh, we've gained security, especially women have gained security. I think with secularism, we, and especially the rising secularism in the United Kingdom, because religions often impose a whole set of restrictions um, on everyone who who is part of their religion, but especially women, right? And yes. 
Yeah, that's all I had to say about that. It's good, but though. <laughs> when you use the word secularism, I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm ready for whatever this is. I but can I tell think you that... went to Cambridge, Phil. Yeah. <laughs> by, I how, just... by how I have to look at the floor when I talk. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think I think that's an interesting point to make in terms of if you think you see religion as part of a sort of the ideas of what makes you a secure woman, and I think that brings us back to the thing I was talking about with the hundred years anniversary. The women who got the vote at that time, well, part of the reason I don't know if I said this, part of the reason why they they put those clauses on it was because it, there was 1.5 million more women than men in the UK at that time partly because of the war, and so they didn't want there to be a female majority vote. So they had to basically <laughs> cook the numbers. <laughs> they had to cook the numbers to be like, and if we do that, <laughs> that should work. That should work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Ooh, I know. It's Sorry. like when I think about Al Gore, and I've been like, he would have stopped climate change. <laughs> uh, and they're like, oh, think about that. That's like a, one of those, like, you know, like in... in <laughs> sliding doors. Sliding doors. Sliding doors. It's like a Gwyneth Paltrow sliding moment. Doors. Yeah, do you, know what, do you know what version of the future we are? The sad, long-haired one where she doesn't oh, realise no. he's cheating. Oh. We're not the sassy short <laughs> yeah. We haven't set up a business. We're just like, are you writing your novel? I'll go and work two jobs then. We could have been fucking having an improbable relationship with John... Sim? I don't remember this. Hannah, John <laughs> Hannah. You have Who to at have. the time was, four, uh, was 37 when she was 22. I recently really watched the film and I have many opinions. <laughs> <laughs> I really like the, the, the breadth of cultural references you have to have to enjoy every aspect of this show. <laughs> it's just really... What about uh, Sliding Al Gore? Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Josie. <laughs> can I say as well, like, because well, I didn't appreciate... When I was thinking about the security, I, I think everyone's concept of security comes from their own, like, pathology, eh? So, like, I'm thinking... When I, I started thinking about the future, and that's because the atmosphere I was brought up in with my mum was always like, you're never more than two months away from the poorhouse. <laughs> like, she would say shit like that in huh. the 90s. <laughs> and, like, she... <laughs> She'd be like, you're never more than two generations away from starving. Like, she'd be really <laughs> fucking full on about it. And, like, it, it, so to me, it was like the future. Oh, God, the future is scary. We can't, we've got to prepare for the future. But actually, when you think about it in terms of, like, insecurity and, like, personal insecurities, like, actually, I would say that I feel very secure in myself. I'm glad of it. It took me a long time of, like, going to therapy, like, all kinds of things like that. But, like, with my relationship, I love being in a relationship. I'm pregnant, we're having a baby. He's trapped. Um, <laughs> trapped, trapped. Try getting away. Try getting... But, um, but I don't feel that... I don't feel that way. I feel like I hope it doesn't end and I would love for us to build something together, but if it does, I should deal with it. And it, that, I think that's what I was trying to get to with money and things like that. It's like, I know it is preferable to have enough money, but I hope that if... I, like, if I don't, again, have enough to pay my rent, I will be able to try and deal with it. And then I think, like, that's a kind of security that is genuinely, like, possible, but it's not enough to, like... It's not, like, with Lean In, where I'm going, like, so, guys, heal yourselves. Well, <laughs> I, I know that that doesn't then mean... What it really means is you are developing a way to protect yourself from all the shit you will come up against, you know? Yeah, but it, I think that's almost what we're kind of... We're coming towards, which is we've 
understanding that there's like a structure of what security is that is based on who is deemed acceptable to have the benefits of feminism. So it's like women over 30 with a husband or a house, they're okay. <laughs> but like, and I still think we live in a world where someone else is deciding who is deserving of those benefits. And if you don't fit into that quite often specific structure, you can feel, I think you can feel out of it and then you have to make, but the beauty of what you're talking about is that you've found a way to protect yourself that isn't based, isn't looking out for other people to tell you that you're okay. Yeah, well, that having been said, I, I definitely still want to feel like my peers don't think I'm terrible. That's like most important. We don't. <laughs> we don't know. No, 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 but I think, yeah, I know. It's I, all I, well and good to say, oh, I feel very secure, but like nobody's ever in a position really with it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, of course, it's and because, especially, I think, with this one, we don't have a huge amount of time left, but something we could have talked about if we'd gone specifically down the career route is that, as in a traditional role, which I imagine quite a lot of people in this room have, like a nine to five job, there are structures apparently there <laughs> to tell you whether or not you're worth something if you're doing your job well. But even within that, there's so many minutiae politics details about. Do you are you seen as someone who does a certain thing? Are you the den mother, aka the person who works harder for less money? Is from what I can understand. Like I don't know if you know that there's this thing about uh, women in uh, positions of power are not. People are always worried about being that kind of woman because think people might think you're bossy or mean or all these things. But if you are seen as a mother bear or mama bear, as they say in America, uh, as someone who is there to look after other people first, and then, you know, if you're doing it for your team, people are cool with it, which I think is so crazy, because no one likes their colleagues. <laughs> so, <laughs> who believes that woman is doing it for that reason? <laughs> but I think there's lots of interesting ways to think about it. And sadly, we're coming towards the end of the show, guys. Please, join me in welcoming, welcoming, thanking, the wonderful Phil Wang, Coca Khan, and Josie Long. <laughs> So, are we any closer to finding out what women want? Has anyone ever finished a mascara? Thank you so much for listening. Please rate, subscribe and share. It makes such a difference in my ongoing journey to top Mel Gibson when you Google what women want. Thanks to producer Zach Annette and to radio legend Shola Alege for her help. Music is by the artisans via Gemendo Publishing. What Women Want is going to Edinburgh. We will be at The Pleasance for six dates only, Saturdays and Sundays in August. Go to The Pleasance website to get your tickets. Wowie wawa, I can't wait to see you there. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.